0: i mean really do it right treating ourselves with dignity and offering the same to others it's like there's a similar presence weaving between those we admire something that makes them different separates them from the crowd sets them apart from a world turned upside down they found the narrow path and are slowly moving forward while the rest of us take five lane highways and fill the air with strong words but that doesn't have to be our story we don't have to settle there it out, laid it out for all to hear, nine fruits that when turned into pursuits can change a life, transform a community, plant hope into a culture, wrap our city in love, so slap hands with a stranger, give your friends a hug, because life isn't always easy, but when our character has deep roots, I promise, yeah I promise, we will bear fruit. PJ Skoog everybody. You know, the last time that we, we showed that video and we had BJ's, um, BJ told me that he had three people, not one, not two, but three people who came up to him later the week and asked if he really did get a new deal with Death Row because that's what we announced that night. And he denied it every time, but it's true. He did get that deal. We are in this series called Bear Fruit um, where we are looking at the nine fruits that Paul lays out. Paul talks about how if a story is saturated in the spirit, if, if fidelity is being prioritized in a person, and there are nine specific fruits that ought to come to the surface, you will see some of these things. And so Paul, when he goes on to name the nine different fruits, he says the evidence of an expanding story will look like first love. When you look at their life, do you find love? Is their love present in their days? Is their love present in their interactions with others? Is their love in their life? And the second thing he talks about, he asks the questions, well, do you see them loving their life? Is there joy? Tell me about how wide they smile. Tell me about how slowly they drink their wine. Tell me about how often they spend time just to play. Tell me about their joy. Is there joy in their lives? Because if their story is saturated in the spirit, If their story is being rooted and established in the love of Jesus, well, then that ought to be present. Celebration. Joy. Joy is our aim tonight. Joy is what we will be talking about tonight. Um, I'm not the best person to do so. And and you probably already know this. Like, I'm already angry about that door. My natural disposition (laughs) is not like um, I don't have a bluebird on my shoulder. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't say I'm dark. And John, why are you laughing so hard at that? <laughs> like, I'm not saying I'm dark or anything like that, but I just, it's just, I'm not like an easy, can get to like cheerful person in that way. And yet the scripture, it talks about joy over 400 times. It lifts it up as this aspirational value. And so I want to pursue it. I want to collectively look at how do we go about prioritizing the work of joy in our story? How do we actually set up our lives to orient around the practice of actually expressing and experiencing joy. And to do so, we're going to look at a text in First Samuel 14, verses 20 through 29. This is a battle scene in light of all you sickos that are excited about Game of Thrones tonight. This one's for you. Preacher school, they taught us that we need to be relevant. So that's what I was trying to do there. You know what I'm saying, Rose? Okay. Reads like this. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on to Beth-Avin. Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, "Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies." And so none of the troops tasted any of their food. I think we've looked at this text before. And I think we've said what we've said before, but I think it's worth repeating because the writer here lays out the story and he sets the scene by saying that there are some soldiers who just want a battle and yet they're standing weak and worn down afterwards. They are malnourished. They are hangry. There are things that should be going better given what just happened, and yet they are in a day not of deliverance, but a day of distress. When we did look at this text before, we asked the question, which I will ask again right now, when you consider the day that you and I are in, would you categorize it with the same term? Are we also in a day of distress? When you think about by the time you lay your head down at night after reading all the headlines from around the world and all of the opinions on social media, when you hear about the news in Iran, in Venezuela, in Alabama, in Georgia, when you hear about all of these big things that will stress you out in different kinds of ways, would you categorize this day as a day of stress? Do you lay down at night in peace or with some perspiration? I get anxious easily, and so for me, even when I head to bed and I think like, okay, I have a clear mind, this is going to go very easily, the moment I close my eyes in peace, I can hear the anxious voice in my head talking like, you don't even care about what happened in fifth grade anymore. And immediately I'm back on my feet and I'm walking around the house fretting about what happened in fifth grade, fretting about what's going to happen tomorrow. I live at least in a day of distress. It is not easy for me To just easily find peace, let alone joy, let alone satisfaction and contentment. What about you? Are you also in a day of distress? You don't need to answer because uh, the good folks at the analytics and advisory group Gallup, they already did. Gallup released, I don't know if you guys caught this, I think we mentioned it here before. A lot of regurgitated material is what I'm realizing right now. But Gallup released a report last month that was groundbreaking. Because what they discovered is that Americans in 2018 were more stressed out than we have ever been before. Of the 150,000 people that took part in this poll, they found that over 55% of Americans had experienced an intense and heavy amount of stress the day before they participated in the poll. That makes us the fourth most stressed out country in the world. Context-wise, Venezuela going through political upheaval right now, the brink of civil war, violence, starvation, refugees fleeing, all of that thing, they are 12th. In the land of the free, we seem to be bound up in this day of distress. What is it for you? We know for the Israelites, when we look at this text, it says that the people were a mess because they were bound up by an oath to Saul. And I would argue that the same could be said about us because Saul exegetically might mean very little to you, but Saul etymologically ought to mean a lot. Saul, the name, means asking for or longing for. Saul is that wish that you just can't quit. Saul is that fixation on what's out there that's keeping you from being right here. Saul is that thing that you want so desperately but that you do not have. Saul is the bank number that you need to see before you are satisfied. Saul is the weight on the scales that you need to be at before you are confident. Saul is, um, it's that blank space that rests at the end of the statement that says, I will be happy when, what would you put in there? I think we all have Saul's in our story to one extent or another. I mean, I can think about off the top of my head right now. I will be happy when Graham learns to sleep throughout the night. I will be happy if Game of Thrones is a good episode tonight. What about you though? I'll be happy when the house finally sells. I will be happy when more money comes in. I'll be happy when my kids stop acting a fool. I will be happy when my job feels like it's the right one for me. I will be happy when what? What is the Saul in your story, that thing that you are longing for, that is pulling you farther into your future and further away from here? Saul says in that text that nobody can eat until the war is won until this happens and that happens. And and just to be clear, because I think we ought to be honest about this, like everything, Saul's not, it's not totally wrong. It's not completely evil. It's not a black and white thing. There is some purpose to having a Saul in your story. It is good to have some kind of drive that pushes you forward. It is good to have an awareness that I am here and I want to get there and I would need to get out of bed to do that. That is important. There is a fine line between being content and being complacent. You can get penalized in life for excessive celebration. There is an important piece of having a person like Saul in your ear. As long as you are allowed to stay here when you listen. As long as that Saul doesn't present to you your present as a problem that is prohibiting you from experiencing your peace and your joy and your satisfaction. There is a place for Saul as long as It's not just this dream that is pulling you forward by making you sleep right now. I saw a video the other night of a Saul named Billy Bean. I don't know if you guys remember this movie. Billy Bean was the, John Keller. Billy Bean was, he wasn't the manager. He was like president of baseball operations, something like that. Okay, don't Google that. Billy Bean innovated the game, had a groundbreaking strategy when it came to how to build a baseball roster. How to use this salary cap in a wise and innovative way that would change the game of baseball forever, hypothetically. At the end of the season, however, he didn't walk away with a World Series ring. So though he forever changed the game of baseball for good, he wasn't able to celebrate that or be satisfied in it because he still didn't have a ring on his finger. Watch this clip. show you something no man i'm not for film right now come on seriously come on billy come on the visalia oaks and our 240 pound catcher jeremy brown who as you know scared to run the second base this was in the game six weeks ago this guy's going to start him off with a fastball jeremy's going to take him to deep center Here's what's really interesting, because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. It's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. How many of us, if we actually were to size up our stories, if we actually were to lift our eyes away from what we don't have and what we've yet to receive and where we've yet to go, would look up and recognize that we hit a home run and we didn't even know it? How many of us are so committed to the next thing, the big thing, the best thing, the description of good that we have in our mind that is keeping us from seeing the good that we have in our presence? The home runs that we've already hit. It's fascinating to me at that text That on the same day it says that the Lord saved them is the same day that they were in distress. It is the same day. It is one day, but there are two ways of seeing that same day. One is of distress, one is of deliverance. How do you see your day? Saul saw it as the next step to the better thing that's still out there. And so nobody will eat, nobody will enjoy one thing until we get to where we set out to go. And everybody was stressed out, weakened, Worn down, bitter. And those same people were the ones who won. There are two ways to see that one day. One is of angst, the other is of abundance. Saul saw the angst. His son, however, saw the abundance. Jonathan, it reads, The army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, and yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. They didn't want to make Saul mad. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes grew bright. And then one of the soldiers said, your dad bound the army under a strict oath. He said, curse be anybody who eats food today. That's why all of us are so tired right now. Why we're thinning out before your eyes. Why we are so weak. My dad has caused trouble for this country. Look at my eyes. Look how bright they are, how big they are. When I tasted just a little bit of this honey. How much better would it have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies? Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? Okay, so violence to the side. Listen to the vision that Jonathan just casts You will not have strength for the battles that lie ahead if you do not stop to enjoy the spoils of a runner right here you won't be able to fight for a better future if you don't remember what it is that you're actually fighting for. If you won't stop along the way and not just celebrate the outcome of all things, but celebrate the stages and the steps that lead you to where you're trying to go. The small things. Not everything is a project to be completed. Not everything is a job to be finished. Not everything is a production waiting to happen. Participate in it, enjoy This is a good gift that is right in front of you. Do you see that with your own eyes? Or are you holding off for the better thing that's still to come? Jonathan wouldn't hold off. Jonathan recognized what Nehemiah would later say, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we cannot endure what lies ahead if we will not enjoy the gifts that are here. We will not pause to celebrate, and we get this with kids. Um, I'm going to show you this clip, and I, again, oh man, this is really—I've shown you this before. I know I have. It's embarrassing, you know. This is my second eldest son learning how to walk for the first time. Go! Look it! Look it! Look it. He's Whoa. walking it! Yeah, do it! Keep going! Yay. Keep going! Yay. Oh, Yay. Yay. Hi, yeah. he's walking now. Yes. <laughs> he jumped oh, off right He's walking. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Let's see it. <laughs> so <good>. oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Contrary to the high prepubescent pitch that my voice reached there and the overall enthusiasm everybody in the room, we didn't sign him up for the Boston Marathon afterwards. <laughs> like we weren't like super juiced and psyched because finally he had figured out how to sprint. Like he was ready for the grand race, he had reached... No, he is basically learning how to balance himself while he falls forward. That's all he's doing right there. It's not that impressive when you really break it down. <laughs> and yet we know with kids, what we fail to remember with ourselves, is that we're gonna celebrate the honey that's on the ground even if it shows up here and there's a battle still ahead. Even if there's work still to be done, even if things are not perfect, the Boston Marathon isn't ready to be run. We know that we have to stop and taste the honey and not just get caught up in all of the hustle. Recognize the gift in these moments, and celebrate it for what it is. Even if it's not what it always will be. I'm convinced in my life. In fact, I'd say this. Well, do I want to say that? Is that too transparent? How safe is this community? I'll say this, and I've said this before, I think, but um, I found out this week that last year at this, on this week is when I got arrested at a protest And um, I have no regrets or no shame about protesting for what I believe to be right. And so I have no regrets or anxiety around that. What I do have anxiety around, though, is the season in which that happened. Where for me, it was all Saul. No sanity. All striving. No satisfaction. It was all grinding and no gift. And when I think back on that stage right there, I recognize how dangerous it is to deprive yourselves of the honey that is oozing out of the ground all around you. How much sanity comes from celebrating what is here and not always constantly being caught up in longing for what isn't. I went to, I'd be in a different place then if I hadn't been so caught up in that and actually slowed down to see what is here. My prayer for our community is that you don't end up in that that psychotic cycle where you have the best things in life that are all around you and yet you can't see one of them. You miss it all. In that season for me, one of the things I learned is this new practice as a parent. I'll tell you this as a parent and I cannot stress this enough. The hardest part about being a parent is that you... Well, I love, that said you have kids. My kids are not like Grayson, so it's a little bit different. Kids are messy. Kids pee all over the place. Kids talk a lot. Kids don't sleep. Kids don't stay in their bed when they do fall asleep. Kids are just a lot. And if you're not careful, you can go through the day with your kids taking such a taxing toll that every aim becomes, how do I endure the next three hours until bedtime? Bedtime is the best time. And it's, uh, it's coming. I know it's coming. How do I just keep my sanity until it happens? Oh, I'm feeling that right now, John. <laughs> but it can easily become that where it's this rat race about how do I endure that? How do I endure this season? How do I endure this stretch? Where I had to take on this practice where every night when the kids finally were asleep and before I would head into my own room and fall asleep, I would stop in their room. And I do it still now and I just look over them, you remember what they are. They're not a pain. They're not a problem, they're not an inconvenience. They're not in my way to the best thing, they are the best thing. The best part about being me. What's the best part about being you? the honey that's oozing out of the ground that you are missing because it's something that is out there and not here. Joy. Oh, good governor. (laughs) This is not happening. (laughs) I will read that to you. Joy is what happens to us when we allow ourselves to recognize how good things really are. Pray with me. Jesus, God, you are the one who came, who was scolded for not fasting because you chose to feast instead. The one who was accused of going to too many parties, of having too much fun, of not playing by enough of the rules. Jesus, you are joy. Jesus, you are joy. Lord, it's so easy for us to make religion all about deprivation, what we won't do. Remind us that it's about delight. What we will do. Who we will be. What our aim is all about. I pray, Lord, over all of us in this community, God, that we would enter into life fully aware of the gifts that are all around us and the honey that is oozing out of the ground. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Every week we gather around this table and we remember the story of Jesus who gathered with his friends and he set before them a practice. He took the bread, he broke it. and He said, whenever you get together as people, Whenever you have meals in the future, remember that this is my body broken for you. It is a good gift. It's a good gift. He then poured the wine into the glass and he lifted it up and he said, this wine is the blood of my new covenant. Whenever you drink from it, remember what I did. Remember how loved you are, how far I went. After we did this, Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the scorn of the shame of the cross. And he chose life instead of death, life in the midst of death. May we have the courage to do the same. Every week when we gather, we gather and we stand together and we pray the Lord's prayer together. and. How we do that here is that we, we see in an effort to be faithful to the God that is revealed in the life of Jesus, the God who is sometimes described as a male and sometimes described as a mother, sometimes described as the breeze and sometimes described as that which brightens up the entire universe. We come together with all the different ways that we access the intimacy of God and we include it inside of the word God. And so will you please stand with me as I say the Lord's Prayer. Following the prayer, we will have um, bread and wine. I believe Sheem said we do it via, via, intinction. Is that the language she went to? That's what she said. Must have meant it. So when you come forward, whenever you feel ready, you take the bread, you dip it into the cup, and you remember the good gift that has been given to you. Will you pray this prayer with me? Our God, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Quick side note, we will have gluten-free ailments. Here in the middle.